Welcome to the ARPA Animal Shelter of the Week podcast, where we introduce you to incredible organizations around the country that are focused on helping animals. We're proud to be sponsored by Dubert.com. Dubert is a free website designed to connect volunteers with rescues and shelters, and the only site that automates rescue relay transport. Let's meet this week's featured animal shelter. Fur Kids is located in Atlanta, Georgia, and operates the largest cage-free, no-kill shelter in the southeast for rescued cats and Sadie's Place, a no-kill shelter for dogs. Fur Kids also operates one of the only facilities in the southeast dedicated to the care of FIV-positive cats. The Fur Kids' mission is to rescue homeless animals and provide them with the best medical care and nurturing environment while working to find them a forever home. Hey Sam, welcome to the show. Hi Rachel, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. I'm super excited and I I feel like I say that to all my guests, but I love meeting new people and you know, in checking you guys out on on your website, I'm really excited to kind of share a little bit more with the listening audience of what you guys do. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Fur Kids, where you're located and, and what your purpose is? Well, thank you so much for having me with you today. I'm excited to talk to you about Fur Kids. Um, We are located in Atlanta, Georgia, and I started the organization 17 years ago um, after I found a mother cat and her kittens in my backyard. And back then, um, there weren't very many options for homeless animals in our state. I, I picked up the phone and I called animal control for my county, and they told me that if I were to bring that family into them, that they would be euthanized. And I was horrified. I was shocked. And I said, why would you kill these wonderful animals? They're beautiful. They're healthy. They're friendly. And he told me, look, we we just don't have the space. We do not have the space for all these animals. So really, it was that moment in my life where I realized that we have got a problem here in our state. I was not aware of it. It just really wasn't talked about um, like it is today. And I, I remember I went down to my PetSmart to buy some food for these kitties, and I saw the adoption center inside. And that's when I learned about rescue groups and shelters and and how they partner with, uh, with PetSmart and now Petco to do these adoptions. And I reached out to that group, and I said, will you help me? Um, will you help me with these cats? And they said, we'll help you uh, if you help us. So if you volunteer with us, we'll help you with these cats. And that's really how it all got started for me. Um, and it was four months later that I started Fur Kids and went off on my own and realized that I had found my calling in life. And um, so it was a great, it's just one of those uh, profound moments in your life that just takes you from one path into another. And um We've been able to do amazing things throughout Georgia over the last 17 years. We started out as a foster home uh, network, and I quickly recognized that if I wanted to have my sanity back again and my home uh, back again, that I needed to build a place where the community could come and join me in this effort. Um, and to be able to provide support and see uh, where their money was going and how they were making an impact in the community. It's just, you know, it's always been really important to me to bring um, volunteers in, to bring the community in. And this was 
the best way that I could could think to do it is is to go ahead and, and take a leap of faith and sign a lease on a 5,000 square foot um, building and took about a year to raise the money and build out the rooms. And I knew that I wanted to provide something very unique and different for our community. Um, I really wanted to provide uh, a home for cats, temporary home where they could be themselves. And to me, that is not in a cage environment. Um, so I created a cage-free shelter. And, you know, when I first had the idea and was talking to people about it and we were designing the shelter, uh, so many people told me that it couldn't be done. They, they said, no, that's, that's, you can't have cats that don't know each other very well in a room together. They're going to fight, this or that. Well, I really enjoyed proving them all wrong. Um, we opened our shelter in 2006 and the community really showed up. They absolutely loved our shelter and they love it today. Um, it's, it is a bright, cheerful, happy place. And, you know, one of the things that I'm really proud about is that we welcome every member of our community to, to join us in our effort and to help us. And that includes children of all ages. We really enjoy um, allowing opportunities, uh, providing opportunities for the children to get involved. And that's really appealing to families that are trying to find meaningful volunteer experiences for their children to teach them about uh, proper pet care and kindness to animals, kindness to each other. And so we're excited that we're able to bring in the children and we've been doing this for years and we're the only shelter in our state that will allow children of all ages to get involved. And we've just seen some amazing acts of kindness from, from these little people um, that, that do wonderful things with our animals and, and we see the benefits, you know, for them as well. I, I love that, right? Because in most rescues and shelters, there are age limits. And so I love that you have, you know, that open door policy with everybody in your community. Uh, it not only strengthens the families, but it definitely creates that community engagement. So I I really love that piece of, of what you guys do. And, and I love that they're rallying around you. I think that's really important. So I also know, Sam, that you guys have a second location um, in addition to your to your main building. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about what that looks like? Yeah, so um, we started out with primarily cats, and we always helped dogs. You know, I'm the kind of person that probably like a lot of your listeners are. Uh, we're the kind of people that pull over on the side of the road to rescue the uh, stray dog running down the street, and that's definitely me. So we always had a dog in the program, but it wasn't until 2011 that we actually had our own facility to house dogs. We took over an organization at the time that was called Small Dog Rescue, and those um, directors decided that they they were ready to retire and just spend time with their husbands and their grandkids, and they had been watching the growth of Burr Kids, and they approached me and, and asked if we would be willing to take over. and. And we did, um, and it was really a wonderful thing that we were able to do. And we um, we wanted to make sure that this organization continued. I was very fond of the founder of their organization. Unfortunately, she passed away of cancer, and 
I really wanted to keep her legacy alive and keep it going. You know, when you pour your heart and soul and your life into something, you, you want to see it continue and, and be your legacy. And so we took over that organization and we just, um, first thing that we did was to secure a wonderful gift to renovate the building and really get it into the, um, get it where it needed to be and up to our standard. And so we were able to increase capacity and immediately doubled the number of lives we were able to save and adopt out of that building. And so for the last um, many years here, we have been operating to shelters um, in addition to the satellite adoption centers that we operate with our Petco partner and our PetSmart partner throughout Metro Atlanta. We have 13 satellite locations. And so we've discovered, you know, over the years as we continue to grow, it's been challenging, you know, especially for our medical team. We have our veterinarian that has to go between the two shelters and our vet tech team and assistants. It's, you know, some days you need uh, Dr. Elmore at the cat shelter, but she's at the dog shelter. And then sometimes we need uh, a vet vet tech's particular skill set at the dog shelter, but they happen to be working at the cat shelter that day. So it has been uh, challenging. And, and also from the community's uh, perspective, we've had people show up at the cat shelter to look at dogs and vice versa. And so we um, we started the, the search for property several years ago that we could actually combine our uh, shelter operations together uh, on one piece of property. So I'm excited that we actually did identify and purchase nine acres of land um, last year in, in 2018. And we are so excited to uh, be working on a campaign to build a new shelter. So obviously, there are, there are definitely some challenges, right, with operating the two locations, uh, as you mentioned. And, and it sounds like you, you worked with that as long as you could. But with the growth that you're seeing and the support from the community, um, it, it was just time, right, to, to make that new move. So that's awesome that you guys were able to secure new land. And we'll definitely be following and, and watching that progress. Well, thank you. It, it is very exciting. And, you know, it really is the dream that I've had for our organization to be able to create a first of its kind destination shelter um, in our state, in our city, and for our community for many generations to come. And really, it's about providing the very best experience that we can for the animals that are in our care. You know, we tend to take on some of the most difficult and challenging medical cases. We do take on the leukemia positive cats, heartworm positive dogs, FIV positive cats. And we've seen you know, a lot of, of great effort in the community to educate people um, about FIV positive cats. And I think you know, it's definitely changed more over the years and trying to educate you know, the veterinarians themselves and letting them know that it's really not such a, it's not the death sentence that it used to be. You know, it's very important to us to educate people about the adoptability of FIV positive cats. And so we do have some animals that have 
a narrower pathway to adoption. And we just want to provide the best environment for them. But we also have a very successful adoption program, and, and I call that our adoption engine, where we that we have our kind of a sanctuary side where we're, we've got animals that are with us a little bit longer and have a longer length of stay than you know, the highly adoptable puppies and kittens and younger animals. And, um, and we do very well with that too. We really balance the two out and we're excited to be able to have uh, all of our team together in the near future on one piece of property all together um, so that we can operate as efficiently as possible. And one of the things that we launched last year that I am super excited about is that, you know, we have done everything we can do at Fur Kids to realize adoptions. We have tried every promotion. We have, you know, we have 13 satellite centers. So not only are we doing successful adoption days at our shelters, but we're also taking animals out to our adoption centers um, on the weekends. And we are just out and about. We are doing everything we can to realize adoptions. And we served over 4,500 animals last year. And yet still, there are so many animals in our state that are waiting to be rescued from kill shelters. And there are 159 counties in the state of Georgia and only two right now um, have said that there are no kills. So that's 157 counties where some of those animals do not stand a chance of getting out alive. And so I started to think, you know, what else can we do as an organization? We've got to do more. We had just have to figure out doing more, get creative here. And so I learned that there are some states up north that do not have cats available year-round. They do not have puppies year-round. And yet here in Georgia, we have them all day, every day, 365 days a year. And uh, these are healthy, adoptable, beautiful, sweet animals. Um, and they're being killed because they're homeless. And I just, it breaks my heart and we have to do more. So I decided, you know, um, we're going to start calling these shelters up north. And we did. We picked up the phone. We started cold calling and just asking the shelters up north, would you consider taking our animals from Georgia? We will vet them for you. We will temperament test them for you. We will drive them up to you. And we started to get some takers. And we were so excited. So we, we got a van. A wonderful donor um, gave us the money for a van. And we figured it out. We started driving them up there and we are closing in on the anniversary of our first year. And we have saved over 1,500 animals that we otherwise would not have been able to save. And we're just getting our feet wet with this program. We now have over 50 partners in 12 states up north. And I was just running the numbers um, because the 2018 reports are out and we were looking at the numbers and we have brought down the kill rate for uh, cats in three county shelters um, from 17, anywhere from 17 to 20 percent for each one of those counties. And we are so excited for the impact that we are having on, uh, on those counties for those animals. And, you know, we've driven over 55,000 miles um, with our with our van 
and we're on the way of get, to getting our second vehicle. And we're just excited to grow this program even more, um, to be more impactful in 2019 and the future. And we just see it being able to do great things. And we we have this, this uh, program down pat now. We know exactly what we're doing. It's been very successful, knock on wood. We have not had any uh, any major issue or anything go wrong. It's just been, it's been a fabulous, very successful program. And we are so excited about it. Yeah, it sounds like a, sounds like a great program. Um, now I'm curious because starting transport programs is not necessarily the easiest thing in the world to do, right? And so how did you connect with organizations in the North um, to get that started? Well, um, it really takes, it takes some nerve. <laughs> it takes uh, persistence. It just really takes a very strong will and drive. We picked up the phone and literally started making cold calls. We researched the shelters up north um, that shared our philosophies on uh, pet care and adoptions and uh, just started conversations, just reached out and started talking about about the issues here in Georgia, and we were received with open arms, honestly. I mean, we, we made several calls. If we didn't get a call back, we just kept calling until we got someone on the phone, and maybe they answered the phone because they were ready to <laughs> not have to deal with the phone calls anymore. I'm not sure, but we were able to form some really wonderful partnerships with some fantastic people in the North, and, you know, it's, it's a win-win. It's a win-win for everybody. We are sending up healthy, adoptable, um, you know, vaccinated and fixed animals. And these partners up north are able to put them out on the adoption floor. And they are getting adopted within days of reaching the adoption. And these are animals that were going to be killed here in Georgia because they're homeless. And sometimes they're animals that have been waiting quite a while to be adopted. And yet they go up there and they're adopted within a couple of days. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Um, the difference, right, between shelters and rescues in the South versus the North. And to your, you know, to your comment, it, it is hard to find partners. So I can appreciate the hard work and, and dedication from you and your staff and your and your volunteers. Well, thank you. And, and I think, you know, the passion comes through and the commitment. And we want them to know that we are professionals. I come from a corporate background. I've always run for kids as a business. We are passionate about what we do, but we're very serious and organized and orderly. And we want to be that great partner. And, and that came through in our communications. And then when we actually started transporting and our animals are arriving up north, they're seeing that we are coming organized and prepared and our medical records are in order and our animals are great and they realize they can trust us. So we established that trust and it has worked out so well for the animals here in Georgia. And we just could not be more grateful to our partners up north and to all of our staff and volunteers that work so hard. And, you know, interestingly enough, this is a tremendous collaboration. We are working with over 30 rescue groups and shelters throughout Georgia to make this possible. So we love collaborative efforts and we're very proud that we are helping 
um, smaller rescues and that we are helping um, some of our animal controls here in Georgia. Um, and these folks are, they're trying so hard and sometimes they just, they don't have the resources to be able to pull this off or they don't really know exactly what to do, but we're kind of the glue and the driving force that's bringing it all together. And we're just, we're just stronger. When we come together, we are stronger and we can make more happen. And we're excited that we, 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 that we know that and we're able, we're able to make it happen. Yeah, I, d I definitely agree with that. So I, again, I think it's a great program that you guys have and, and the dedication for you to, you know, to make the progress that you've made in a year, I think is fantastic. So the other thing, the other thing that, that I want to kind of talk about is we've talked a lot about cats, right? And moving cats from, from Georgia to the Northern states, we haven't really talked a whole lot about dogs. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what that looks like for you guys and, and the dog adoption situation for you? Yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, we were achieving just some great life-saving results year over year over year with our renovated dog shelter. Um, we have capacity for 65 dogs in the building. And um, we also utilize, of course, foster homes to help with puppies or dogs that need a break from the shelter. And one of the things that we're struggling with is our dog adoptions um, have gone down uh, significantly. Some, in some months, they're 50% lower than what they've been in previous months, um, in the previous year. And so we were growing, 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 and then now we seem to be um, dipping back down again. And, and some of the things that we're struggling with really is that Georgia, um, Georgia has over 400 rescue groups, really in metro Atlanta. There are a lot, uh, there aren't very many shelters, brick and mortar uh, buildings but uh, there are a lot of rescue groups. So we just see a lot of spinoffs, you know, even we've had, a, we've had volunteers that have started volunteering with us and then eventually they go off and start their own rescue group. And, and what we find is that there, there are fewer dogs to be rescued in, in the shelters. And that is what's really, it's fascinating. It is where we want to be, right? Where um, there are fewer dogs that need rescuing. However, um, we, we all know that uh, the pit bulls are the ones that need the most help. I mean, Georgia is is full of wonderful, wonderful pit bulls in our shelter. And yet we can't force the community to adopt this breed of dog if they don't want to adopt them. You know, we cannot force them. And so one of the things that we see is, you know, half our shelter um, are pit bulls and they're wonderful dogs, but we we can't. Um, you know, fabricate or produce homes for them. And, and there's just a lot of competition um, in Georgia for, you know, for these great homes for these dogs. And there's, yet there's just so many that need to be rescued in our shelters. It's, a, it's an interesting situation that we're finding ourselves in really for the last year. Most people are wanting to adopt the small dog, medium-sized dog. Um, they want to avoid uh, pit bull mix. And so we, we, it's hard. And I know that this is a shared challenge. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's not just in Georgia, right? With the pit bulls, we, we hear that in a lot of states. In the relationships that you have with other states, um, is this something that you've talked with them about? Do you find resistance from them? I know moving the cats and the kittens is easy for you. Are you trying to move the dogs as well? Well, we were not 
moving. Uh, we have not uh, transported any of our dogs out of our shelter up north. We have been transporting for other shelters, um, some of our uh, local animal controls. We've been sending some of their dogs up north. And now, you know, we want to take a look and see, okay, well, who in our program, you know, is, is still with us? Because our dogs typically have, you know, an 18-day length of stay average um, for in our in our program, but we've we've got dogs that are reaching you know, several months now, and it's the same type of dog. But we're finding that they they probably have issues that the northern partners uh, don't welcome either because they they've got those dogs up there. You know, they're looking for the same type of dog that we are. So we have to be careful not to send them, you know, food aggressive dogs or. <clears throat> you know these these dogs they're they've got enough of those already so it's it's just we want to continue our life-saving work for dogs in our communities it's just getting harder and harder we're going to just have to figure out this is where you adapt and you say okay uh what do we need to do you know get the team together for a brainstorming session look to see what other organizations are doing what's been successful for them you know um mix up the marketing do some some creative um, you know, campaigns. This is where you just uh, tell my team, you cannot just sit there and, and let these dogs, you know, um, sit in their kennels. You've got to figure out how can you be their voice. To what do you need to do differently to, to ensure a pathway to adoption? Because yeah. there is one. We just, we just have to, can't give up. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. So with over 400 rescue groups um, in the state, you said that's in your in Metro Atlanta, yeah, in Metro Atlanta and around, you know, around the city, and that's and I don't know that there are too many other communities across our country that experience, you know, and I I would really love to see um, collaboration among these smaller groups, you know, coming together and collaborating. I I don't know why sometimes so many people feel like they've got to go out and make their own organization. I, I really encourage when people come to me and they say that to me, oh, I, I want to run my own rescue someday. I want to start my own rescue. And I, I look at them and I say, why? Why do you want to do that? Unless you are filling a need that doesn't currently have a solution. Like There's not a group right now that is meeting the need of some particular uh, breed or situation or, you know, then you, the best thing you can do the best thing you can do is get behind a group that is doing it well and help them be better. You know, like that, that's the best thing you can do. We don't need another rescue group. And I know I'm being very honest here, but that's the truth. I mean, we need more collaboration. We're stronger together. Yeah, and I definitely, I definitely agree with that statement, right? Strength in numbers is, is where it needs to be. So my question for you is with so many groups out there, are you guys working in with some of those smaller rescue groups, and and what do some of those relationships look like? What have you been able to accomplish if you are working together? On the dog side, um, no, we we haven't really pursued or really know really how we can collaborate, except that we have sent, um, we have transported to our northern partners, uh, you know, some of the harder to place dogs in in our local shelter. We've done that, and now you know we're looking at our own dogs to say, okay. You know, who has been waiting here for a home for a while that's a great dog, doesn't have any issues, it's just that it continues to get overlooked. You know, maybe there isn't a good opportunity for them. Definitely. 
Um, I mean, you took the the words right out of my mouth, right? The question I was going to ask you is when you reach out to these rescues in the metro Atlanta area, are you being received well? Are they open to that partnership? Are they are they willing to work with you and kind of figure out, you know, what's next so that all the animals benefit? But it sounds like they are definitely open to it. Yes. I mean, I think for some it's answered prayer. I mean, there, there are people that, you know, we they had 100 cats in their program um, and they're a foster-based program and they want to get ready to, to, you know, as we go into kitten season to have space to save kittens and and they're sitting on these fabulous, uh, you know, young adults that nobody wants here locally. And we cleared them out. We sent them all up north. And it's just, it's tremendous impact. We're having a tremendous impact to our partnership uh, with with the local groups here that, that get it. I mean, they, they understand that we're here to save lives and let's come up with, with creative solutions. And it can't be the same old, same old. Yeah. We have to... We have to figure it out. And it's been it's been great. We're we're very proud of it. Yeah. I definitely like the innovative thinking, the outside the box. I think you guys are doing some really awesome things. Um, I wanna talk a little bit about a video um from two thousand and seventeen. Do you wanna share yeah. with us the story behind that? Yes, I do, because it's one of those things that I'm just uh, I'm so proud of. It was you know, it's funny. I think some of the, the folks listening will remember this video. Um, basically, we posted a video that one of our volunteers filmed in about 30 minutes um, and sent me the file and said, here you go. Here's a video that I made, you know, last weekend, the cat shelter. And I looked at it and I thought, oh, you know, um, gosh, no, it's fine. I just, I didn't get some of the humor. I was looking at it from a different angle. I'm like, <laughs> it's really funny. We posted the the video. I think it was Christmas Eve. Um, uh, what was that? The twenty twenteen. And the next thing I know, a few days later, one of our board members called me. Um, oh my gosh, Fur Kids is on the front page of Reddit. And it's one of those moments. I I said, well, what is Reddit? <laughs> I didn't know what Reddit was, and maybe some of you all don't know what it is either. Um, but one thing led to another. We had the number one trending video, on, and it's our kitty. It was our used car salesman themed uh, video where our volunteer, Paul Preston, filmed this video. It went viral and it, around the world. I mean, I was doing interviews, uh, television interviews, live interviews with uh, a group in Australia. Um, it, it just, it, it, it just broke all kinds of, of boundaries, if you will, for marketing and all kinds of this goes to show what you can do with no budget uh, when you have someone that made it as uh in your volunteer wheelhouse. So um, it was wonderful. And, you know, the best thing about it, uh, and if you dig deep on our website, forkids.org, you'll find it. But it, or just, just Google kitty, the K, kitty. And uh, it just created a lot of goodwill for animals around the world. Um, there were people writing, us, oh, I, I wish my animal shelter were like this, or oh, I, I'm going to go visit my animal shelter now. Um, it was great, and it brought a lot of wonderful support for kids. So I know it's just one of those moments that, you know, you all strive for. We would all love to have, you know, a viral video 
people something, you know, about our shelter uh, and work it. And it happened for us. And uh, I'm forever, I'm forever grateful that it did. Yeah. You know, in this day and age with social media, right, it just goes to show you that you never know what people are going to like or click on right. or come across. And, you know, the volunteers that help organizations are crucial. They're vital, right? And, you know, unless you step outside that box and really just try something off the wall, you don't know what's going to work. So I would just encourage people, if you don't have a background in animal welfare, there's so many other ways that they can help, right? And I think this is a, a good example of that. Um, so it definitely mm-hmm. sounds like you have a, a good backing with volunteers and the community and all the relationships that you've built over the course of 17, almost 18 years. Um, so I, w- I would just encourage you guys to continue down that path and keep building relationships and and letting people explore their passions, right? And being creative. Um, you know, every little bit helps. Yes. So I think that's awesome. And we'll definitely be, um, I'll definitely link the video to the blog post as well with your podcast and, uh, th- you know, they'll be able to access right. From yeah, that's well. great. So. And if nothing else, it's good for a laugh and, uh, and it will make you laugh. One of the funny things is in the video, Paul Preston is showing off the, the different pieces of Fur Kids merchandise. Here's a hat. Here's a shirt. Here's a vest. Well, our website blew up because everybody was coming to the website for the merchandise. And guess what? We didn't have the merchandise on the website. (laughs) So (laughs) if you're going to do something like that, uh, you better be prepared. And we, of course, were not prepared for that. It's a laughable moment in time. But I would just say that um, volunteers have always been the lifeblood of this organization. Some of our volunteers... Um, are our biggest donors. They're our biggest contributors. And sometimes that's a way that the volunteers, the donors, potential donors are checking you out. It's very nicely stated and 1,000% true. Uh, Volunteers are definitely, definitely the lifeblood of organizations out there. So we couldn't agree more. Sam, I've really enjoyed my time with you and I know we're over but my favorite part of the entire conversation is yet to come. So I'm going to ask quickly, <laughs> but I want you to share, what is your number one story in your time in the animal welfare industry? Do you have a rescue story that you want to share that just can be happy or sad? Just one that stands out to you. Oh, there are so many. There are so many, but I have to tell you that just a couple of weeks ago, and this this warms my heart, is. Um, one of the first litters of kittens I ever rescued was a group of four black kittens. That was in 2002. So this was the first year that I officially started. Well, I got a call a couple of three weeks ago from a gentleman that said, I have a cat from Burkhead's. I can't take care of him anymore. And I've been taking care of him throughout, you know, he's lost this person and this person and this person. Well, I went and picked the cat up myself because Toby is his name, and he was one of the first kittens that I ever program. My gosh, he has come full circle back to my arms again. And he tragically lost the woman that adopted him. She passed away. Then her parents took care of him. Both of them passed away. Then the caregiver that took care of the parent, she passed away. And this is her son who contacted me. And now Toby 
17 years later, he's come to spend his last, you know, what time he has left on earth with us again. And it just, it makes me grateful that for kids is here, that we've been successful to be that safety for these animals that find themselves having lost all of their caregivers. And we're here to receive them back. And that's what it's all about. And that, right now, that, that's what's on my heart. The journey is one kitty. Um, 17 years, and now he's back at home. Sorry that he, he lost all of his but I'm glad it was. I mean, I don't even know what to say to that. Like, how does that even happen, right? 17 years later, you find him. He finds a loving, adopting family, more than one person, and he ends up back with you. Isn't that, I mean, I mean it's the journey, uh, it was meant to be. I'm glad that we are here for Hopefully he's in good, you know, he's, he's in good health. He'll hopefully be around great. for longer. That, yeah. But that's what resonates for me the most. Yeah, that's a great full circle story. So I definitely appreciate that. And I'm, I'm glad you were able to share that with us and with the listeners. Um, and we definitely appreciate everything that you're doing. Um, so now that I have definitely taken us past our time, um, I've again, I've really just appreciated your time and, and the conversation and, and sharing all these different bits and pieces. Is there anything else that you want to share maybe that, that we forgot or did we cover everything? Um, I think we've covered everything. And I just want to thank, um, thank you for the opportunity to um, speak together today and, and hopefully if there's anything uh, that I've said that would inspire someone else or help someone else I, I hope that it has and if anyone is to ever connect with me um, please share my information so they can you can reach me uh, through forkids.org. I love that well thanks again Sam so much I really appreciate you and everything you're doing thank you Rachel Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. If you're not already a member, join the ARPA to take advantage of all the resources we have to offer. And don't forget to sign up with dobert.com. It's free and helps automate the most difficult tasks in animal rescue.